must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic process. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. I have a dream. Welcome to Great Men Back Then. Here's your host, Lauren Scott. You are listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. My name is Lauren Scott, and welcome to Great Men Back Then, the show where we talk about great people in American history. Today, we are talking about Wendell Berry, an American poet, essayist, author, and farmer. Although he has many marvelous works, today we will primarily be focusing on his book, Hannah Coulter, and we will also be interviewing Dr. Peters, who is a professor here at Hillsdale College. And not only does he know a lot about Barry, but he's also personal friends with him. So we'll get to hear a little bit about his opinions on some of Barry's works, but also some of his personal experiences with him. Now, although today we are only focusing on Barry's one book, Hannah Coulter, this should not discourage you from reading his other books. And he also has many poems that I love and hold dear to my heart. He is by far my favorite poet and author, at least during this season of my life. And you really can't go wrong with any of his books. Have you ever felt like your life was a systematic repeat of the same thing every day? Do you ever wonder why things can feel monotonous even if they are the things you have chosen to pursue? Have you ever pondered the fact that there is a whole world beyond you that you have given little to no thought to? Well, Barry has had all these same thoughts, except he has not just thought about these things, he has religiously made an effort to solve these problems in life. And he has been kind enough to publish what he believes to be solutions, or at least a good place to start. It can be hard to take a step back and appreciate the world around us because we're too busy with our everyday lives. But Barry would argue that a life that does not stop and look around is no life worth living at all. Coming from a humble farming background himself, He is a strong advocate for the agrarian lifestyle. Most of his poems relate back to nature in some way or new life being brought into the world. It is hard to say which poem of his is most well known for they are all beautiful and unique in their own way. My personal favorite poems by Barry are A Timbered Choir and Manifesto, The Mad Farmer's Liberation Front. These two poems show how Barry uses nature and farming throughout his work to convey a deeper meaning. There are many wonderful, unique things about Barry that I would love to educate you on. How about I share some fun facts by playing a little game called Spy the Lie. You may remember this game from a couple weeks ago. I did the same sort of little segment whenever I was featuring Alfred Lord Tennyson. And so basically, I will tell you two truths and one lie about Barry, and you will have to guess which one is the lie. 
Now, although I do not condone lying, for the sake of the game, I guess I will have to lie to you. But don't worry, I will later reveal which one is the lie, so you'll just have to keep listening to this episode if you want to find out. Without further ado, let's jump right into this game. Fact number one. Barry does not own a computer and writes all of his work on a typewriter. Fact number two. Barry has five children, two of which own their own farms. And finally, fact number three, Barry has a sheepdog named Liz. Now, it is up to you to think about these three facts throughout the rest of the episode and try and guess and figure out which one is the lie, which I will later reveal to you after our interview with Dr. Peters. Today, I am here with Dr. Jason Peters. He is an associate professor of English at Hillsdale College. He knows Wendell Berry, he's written a book about Wendell Berry, and he's, he's friends with him as well. So he is going to give us the rest of the story. So thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Really do appreciate it. Um, how did you meet Wendell Berry in the first place? I met him outside the men's room on a, in a building on the campus of uh, University of Iowa back in the 90s, but that didn't really count as a meeting. We just said hello, and he, had, he didn't know me from Adam. A few years later, um, I visited him at his farm uh, in Kentucky, and we spent a couple hours sitting by the stove in his uh, living room, just chatting, talking about uh, mutual acquaintances, talking about books that we liked. And uh, later, uh, he said, "Well, I gotta, I gotta go do the chores." This is the way he gets rid of people, I think, when when he's with somebody who's really hard to talk to. But he invited me to go down to the barn, and um, we uh, we did the chores, fed the sheep, and took a walk up the road. Uh, he showed me uh, the hillside that he said he loves to mow in the summer. This is one one of my great joys in life is to mow that field, mow that hillside behind behind a team of horses. Uh, so I spent maybe maybe four hours with him that day. I think this was maybe back in two thousand four or something like that. Um, and, uh, at the end of it, he said, uh, you, you come again. Uh, he said, I don't say that to everybody, but, uh, you come again. He says, and by the way, I can tell you that Tanya likes you. <laughs> and, uh, so that was the beginning. And then since then, uh, I've been to his house several times. He and Tanya have been guests at our house and, uh, we've met, um, maybe three times at, uh, uh various conferences over the years. As a man who is not a big fan of technology and industrialization, what is his home like? Uh, it's a very old farmhouse. Uh, it's The principal rooms are the, the uh, living room, which is the first room you see when you come in, totally lined with books, and there's a wood-burning stove in there, and a piano uh, that Tanya plays. And then behind that is the kitchen, very you know, modest kitchen with another wood-burning stove in it. And um, he has a what appears to be, I haven't seen much of it, what appears to be a main floor study. Uh, he doesn't really use that for his writing. He's got a um, what he calls the long-legged house down the road uh, on the river where he does his writing. But it's a very modest old uh, farmhouse um, with, a, with, I, was, I think, um, 
three outbuildings, a uh, garden across the road near the Kentucky River, and um, to the north of the house, a pretty impressive bank of solar panels. I attended a lecture last year. Uh, you were talking about Barry, and you mentioned he has a cell phone now because of his old age. Am mm. I remembering that correct? You are remembering that correctly. I, it's, a no, it's a flip phone, um, and... Uh, uh, he, I, I, as I understand, um, it's a it's a concession to his wife's concern that he could be off at his his uh, long legged house doing his work, and some something could go bad with his health, and he would no have no way of getting a, a hold of her. He said elsewhere, um, I mean, he has a a landline in his house, and he he kind of he really does like talking on the telephone. He he likes the f that technology. He likes the radio. Uh, he likes being able to hear music uh, in his kitchen, and apparently he he loves to have long conversations on the phone with his friend Wes Jackson in Kansas. Um, and then of course he's got an old beat up pickup truck, and <laughs> he's not completely outside of of uh, uh, mainstream America. Barry loves his dog, and I believe he has even written a few poems about dogs. Mm -hmm. um, so did you get to witness his bond with his dog? I believe he currently has a sheep dog. Yeah, he's, uh, he makes good use of sheep dogs because he's got a couple of different flocks and, uh, that he keeps in separate hillsides and separate uh, pastures and feeds out of separate barns. And I've seen them at work on the hillside, and I've seen them... Uh, getting scratched on the front porch as we sat there and there it's a it's a it's the sort of bond you'd expect between uh, a dog and a person who loves dogs how does he interact with his wife they're pretty interesting together um she, uh, she's uh she's got some irony in her and uh she likes to she likes to give him a little bit of grief now and again like when he's telling the same story for uh the umpteenth time. Uh, I once heard her joke about uh, um, John Lukash, the historian who who became friends with the Berries uh, before, late in life before he died. And Tanya said uh, that she just loved John to death, and she said, "If I could get rid of this one, I could take care of him." <laughs> <laughs> so they're they're pretty fun to watch. Um, uh, he's uh, but he's very. Um, you can tell he's very devoted and tender-hearted and very much in love with her after all these years. Barry does not own a computer. It was actually one of the first essays ever read by him, why I do not own mm -hmm. a computer. And um, in this essay, he mentions that he, he does all of his work on a typewriter. Did you get to see this typewriter? I've never seen a typewriter. Uh, he does... He does his work with a pencil and whatever paper is available. In fact, in, in the uh, <clears throat> companion essay to that, he talks about ripping off a corner of feed stack and uh, feed, uh, feed sack and writing on that if he has to. Tanya does the typing. I haven't seen it. It's a royal standard. I think it's about a 1950-something royal standard. But he does have a neighbor. Because now the, the publishing industry has is not the same as it was when he you know, first went to work in the early 1960s, uh, he has a neighbor who types what Tanya has typed um, onto computer and so that he can submit his work um, in the only form that's allowable now, which is electronic. 
And she also helps him out with some of his correspondence because he gets a lot of letters. And so sometimes he uh, he answers letters in, into a tape recorder, dictates them, and then she she helps out and types them out for him. But no, I haven't seen the typewriter. You mentioned that he drives a pickup truck, but if he were to be a car, what kind of car do you think he would be? <laughs> Wouldn't be a Maserati. <laughs> Wouldn't be a Ferrari. The pickup truck is... Uh, it looks like it's just it's a basic farm vehicle. You know, if you have to throw uh, five lambs in the back of it, you can do that. So I'd put him solidly in the in the territory of a uh, half-ton Chevy or Ford pickup truck, and not a new one. <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be a manual transmission. You mentioned that he likes to listen to music. Do you happen to know what kind of music he listens to? You know the. One time when I was at his house, he said, I want you to hear this um, song. So he pulled out a CD by a group called uh, uh, Lori Lewis and the Left Hands, I think it is. I, I, I could have that wrong, but I think I've got it right. Uh, and they had done a recording of one of his poems, Burley Coulter's Love Song to, um, I'm blanking on her name. But he said, uh, he played it for me. And it was kind of a bluegrass sort of song, which I think is maybe his his preference. And he said, I, I don't know anything about music, but if I had written the music to my own poem, that's exactly what I would have would have written. So I, I think the I think you can you can pretty much count on the the banjo and the guitar and the fiddle. You mentioned how um you had the opportunity to actually hang out on the porch, his porch with him. Uh, would you say when he's not working, does he spend a lot of time on his porch? He probably does. He's always got a, near as I can tell, he's got a pair of binoculars there to do his bird watching and some bird houses that are set out uh, out in front. But I think he, I don't know, at, at, at this at this age, whether he still does a lot of walking on the hillsides, um, I think in his younger years, he a lot of his spare time was spent kind of in solitude, walking. Uh, most of us who write have learned to compose in that way, uh, in our heads. But uh, my guess is, yeah, I think he spends a lot of time on that porch in clement weather, yeah. It's a nice porch. So he has a separate building to do his writing. Have you ever seen that building? I have seen it. Um, I, I, think, I think I snapped a photograph of it. Uh, and he he's pretty he guards that place pretty carefully. He doesn't want photographs published of it, and um, I don't think many people have seen the inside of it. I don't know that for sure, but uh, of course he's written about it in an essay called "The Long-Legged House." Um, and in in winter, when the foliage is off the leaves, you can see it from the road. In the summertime, you can barely see it at all. All right. Well, thank you so much. That's actually all the questions I have for you today, but I really appreciate you taking the time to join me. I'm grateful for the opportunity. Thanks a lot. And now it is time for me to reveal the lie from our little game, Spy the Lie. The lie is fact number two. Wendell Berry did not have five children. He actually only has two daughters, which means that Berry does not own a computer, he uses a typewriter, and he actually does have a sheepdog named Liz. Now that you have heard Dr. Peters talk about Wendell Berry um, from a personal point of view, 
I think it's only fair that you now hear a little bit of his writing. I will be reading from his book, Hannah Coulter, and to give a little bit of a background story just so this will make sense to you, Hannah Coulter is a young woman who just married the love of her life, Virgil, and he got drafted in World War II. She is having kind of a difficult time figuring out her life now that her husband is far away from her and she's currently living with his family. And so I'm going to read a little bit from chapter six. It's called One of the Feltners, a member of Port William. And Feltners, that is her new last name. Uh, She became Hannah Feltner um, after she married Virgil and a member of Port William. That is the town that she lives in with Virgil's family. I had begun my time of waiting. I was living my life, and yet I seemed somehow to be outside of it. As if only when the war was over and Virgil came home would I be able to come back into my life and live again inside it. And yet I knew I was fortunate beyond anything I might have expected or even dreamed. At a place unquestionably my own in the world, and in Virgil's family. It was a little awkward at first, with Virgil so suddenly gone, and nobody speaking of the fear we had most on our minds. But Mr. and Mrs. Feltner treated me as a daughter of the household, as I had before, and the life of the farm and the household was still undoubted in those days. It went on as it always had, and as it needed to do, war or no war, and I did my part. The Feltners were hospitable people in the old way, There was always company, a lot of coming and going, even when we weren't feeding hands. There was plenty of work to be done, lots of housekeeping, lots of cooking and canning and preserving, butter making, soap making, washing and ironing, getting ready for company, cleaning up afterwards, looking after the old and sick, seeing that the grandchildren, when they came visiting, would live to go home again. That was what Mrs. Feltner would say, giggling a little bit but also meaning it. I just want them to live to go home. I loved taking part. I loved being welcome to take that part. But I knew, and the Feltners did too, that I needed to be working and earning on my own. During the tobacco market in the fall and winter, I took a job in the office of the Golden Leaf Warehouse, driving down to Hargrave every day with the others from Port William who worked at the warehouses in the wintertime. The rest of the year, when I would work part-time for Wheeler Cartlet, or other office people in Hargrave when they needed me, I would often stay again at the Finley house with Auntie. Time doesn't stop. Your life doesn't stop and wait until you get ready to start living it. Those years of the war were not a blank, and yet during all that time, I was waiting. We all were waiting. This started as soon as Virgil left home, long before he went into the fighting. We were all holding something back inside ourselves that we didn't want to give to that time. None of us ever said, Oh, if only this war would be over. Oh, if only Virgil can live through it. If only he can stay alive. If only he can make it home. But we thought those things every day. We thought them and thought them. Each of us knew that the others were thinking them and praying them. And those thoughts made a strange silence among us and we lived around. I, and I think the others too, felt a certain reluctance to have pleasure, as if by waiting for pleasure, by putting it off, by keeping our lives pushed away from us to make enough room for the fear and worry, 
we might get Virgil safely through the war and home again, and then we would let ourselves live and be pleased entirely. Now, unfortunately, that is all I have time to read today. If you have never read any of Wendell Berry's books, I strongly recommend that you do. Um, They hold a special place in my heart. I think Wendell Berry is a brilliant writer, and his books will definitely make you feel like you're living the life of the person he's talking about. It is because Wendell Berry is an amazing poet, essayist, and author, and a remarkable person that I argue he is a great man. Thank you for listening to Great Men Back Then. I'm your host, Lauren Scott, on Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM.